follow. Walking in the footsteps of Jesus, our teacher for this series is going to be the Apostle Peter. You say, really? Yeah, well, he, he wrote these two letters back around 64, 65 AD, most scholars think, not long before he was killed by Nero. The thought is that he was killed during one of the purgings of the Emperor Nero. And um, before that, about 40, 30, 35, 40 years earlier, before he wrote the two letters we're going to be looking at in the next eight weeks, First and Second Peter, he had this experience. This is how it reads in Matthew 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Life is full of couplets, isn't it? Like words put together like that, like hi there, go back, stand up, sit down, come here, be quiet, get out, good job, forward march, heads up. we got all kinds of couplets. But these two words, follow me, totally revolutionized Simon Peter's life. It didn't just change the trajectory, the arc of his life. It, it changed him from the inside out. It, it's a command, follow me. It's not a suggestion. It's not even one of Jesus' really great questions. Many of you know I, I love Jesus' questions. This is not one of his questions. This is a direct command. It's a call to action. It's a call to submission. It's a call to service. It really called Peter to a whole lifetime. Changed everything. I, I, uh, I asked a government leader who was pretty high in the government some years ago in Washington, D.C. I said, uh, what's it like? You've been a governor, so you were top dog of this state. What's it like to be in the middle and have to follow somebody? And he just looked at me and said, everybody follows someone. And sometimes we follow people in different seasons of our lives. We Different people in different seasons. Sometimes we follow different people for different reasons in our life. But when you start following Jesus, it's like a whole lifetime thing. It's, it's an eternal, it's from here on out. And this call from Jesus, this follow me, is visceral. Like it's in your gut. It's this deep thing. This powerful thing. Have you ever been in a situation where you walked in and something happened and it just caught you? It wasn't intellectual. It was something that just caught you. That's apparently what happened to Simon Peter. It says that he and his brother at once, immediately, left their nets. They were commercial fishermen and followed him. After three years of following, this happened. Jesus gets executed by the state, the Roman government, complicit with the religious leadership. He's resurrected three days later, which was, you know, that hadn't happened before. Six weeks, he hangs out with the, with the 11 guys that are left because Judas had killed himself. And he talks to them about the kingdom of God, this, this authority, this rule, this different way, this radical way of seeing life and people and eternity and God. And then he leaves and goes to his father. And Simon Peter and his friends are left to figure it out and to walk it out. Every once in a while, I'll say to somebody, so how's life treating you? And oftentimes they'll say, well, I'm trying to figure it out. I said, me too. I thought I had it figured out three months ago, but now something else happened, so I'm trying to figure it out. How many have been there? You don't have to raise your hands. But, you know, life is an ongoing series of figuring out. 
and learning to walk it out. And what the rule of God in my life looks like. So these two letters, First and Second Peter, are Peter's approach of how he sees that. What he's discovered, the things that count, how he sees the world and the future. It's, it's really interesting reading. It's timely for us. It could be a blog. I mean, the, the way he approaches it. And there's a richness in this guy. The thing that gets me about this is that for th- his first 30 years, almost 30 years, he was a fisherman on a, on a lake, big lake, but in a lake in a little Middle Eastern country, if you will. And, you know, he got up every day to go fishing, actually went fishing at night most of the time, depending on the species they were catching. So here he is, almost 30 years old, and every day he gets up to go fishing. And then you read him 35 years later, and I'm saying, how did he come up with that? He's just a fisherman. Well, I think it's the Holy Spirit, for starters. But there's this thing about fishermen and farmers that I've observed over the years. People who often spend a lot of time alone. They have a kind of wisdom. I only know one guy like Simon Peter. His name's Charles Daniels. He's a long net fisherman, the last long net fisherman in Pimlico Sound, which is the area off North Carolina by Cape Hatteras. There's an area of water. And I met him in 1972. I was on a vacation with our family. And I'm sitting on the pier at Cape Hatteras and this guy comes walking down and he's got these broad shoulders because if you're hauling nets in, you're going to get broad shoulders. And we started this conversation. Turns out that he was a believer and I was a believer. And he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And he has this accent, this distinguished, sort of a cross between the East End of London and Andy Griffith. That's not the East End, but it's somebody. And, but he just said, how are you doing? Like that. He, and I said, I, I'm good. He said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm just here. He said, you want to go fishing with me? I said, well, yeah. So at five in the morning, I get up and go down and climb on the Miss Molly, which is the boat that he built with his own hands. And we go out into the sound and we drag a mile of nets for five hours and catch all these fish. First time in my life I had grits. But along the way, he started asking me these questions. And I don't know that Charles graduated from high school. He might have. But they were deep questions. There were these thoughtful questions. He wasn't school educated. He was life educated. There was, there's a richness about him. And these letters reflect that richness in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They are passionate. Because fishermen and farmers, my, you know, they don't have time to mess around. They're just direct. So he's direct. He's to the point, to the point of being blunt. He's sort of in your face at certain places. I, um, I happened to have dinner. We had, we had dinner with uh, Ruth and I with some friends and, and the, the grandmother in the group, the wife in the group. I asked her, I said, when, when, you, when you listen to somebody speak like here, when, when you listen like this, wh- what do you want when you sit out there? Because sitting out there is different than being up here. I sit out there a fair amount. And um, she said, I don't want it candy-coated. I don't want the fancy stuff. Just give it to me straight. That's what I want. So I was with a 29-year-old just a couple days later. I said, so when somebody's talking from the pulpit, how do you want it? How do you? He said, I want, I want it authentic and vulnerable. I want you to give it to me straight. That's amazing. Somebody 29, somebody in their 60s, and they're saying it that, well, Peter gives it to you straight when you read these letters. And that's what he does. So this weekend, 
the thoughts are titled Called and Chosen. So let's just start. We're just going to really focus on the first couple of verses, but we'll read some other passages. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Just a, a note, obedient has the root, ver, is the, root, the root verb of the word obedient, both in the Old and New Testaments, is the verb to hear. So in order to obey, you have to hear. And then he closes that, these verses with grace and peace be yours in abundance. I'm going to end today coming back to that phrase, grace and peace be yours. All good to end with grace. But I was talking to my son-in-law, Van Clements, who pastors in Eugene, Oregon, and I said, I'm teaching on, on the first chapter of Peter, First Peter, and uh, going to deal with, with grace a bit. And he said, let me send you something. And he sent me a note about a friend of his. I'm going to read you part of it, and then I'll come back to it. This is his, his note. My, my friend Isaac Jackson was an attorney here in town and four years ago was diagnosed with liver cancer in his late 30s. He passed away just a few months ago. During his time of processing his sickness, one of the things he talked about was how he grew up in a family where they talked a lot about grace. I'll come back to that in just a few minutes. So when we respond to the call of Jesus... We discover that we're chosen, point one. When we respond to the call of Jesus, we discover that we are chosen. He's writing to what he calls the scattered one. The, the, the word in the original language is diaspora. It means Jews living in Gentile or pagan areas around the Mediterranean basin. Some, of, some families had been exiled for before 600 years before the time of Jesus. But he calls them, they're scattered, they're foreigners, they're strangers. He calls them the selected ones, the elect, the chosen ones, Jesus followers. They are strangers in this world, but they're chosen by God. Citizens of a different place. Sometimes, because of how we think about life, if we follow Jesus, it feels like we don't fit so well. In current culture, it, it, it feels like, you know, the whole world is doing this and we're sort of doing this. We feel counterintuitive. I like, I like what C.S. Lewis says when he says, we, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Some of us sitting here are aliens, literally, we're aliens. We have green cards, we're here working, we're other kinds of aliens. And alien feels like a harsh word, but, but Peter is saying you're an alien here because you're part of a different kingdom, that you see the world in a different way. Listen to how it reads in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So I'm a stranger in a strange land. They've got different cultural systems. They, they talk different than I talk. They eat differently than I and, and he says, but you need to understand this, that you're chosen by the Most High God, that you're special, that you're a royal family, a holy nation. Point two is that we are set apart for a purpose. 
He talks, Peter talks about holiness here. I'd like you to read it with me. You say, why are you doing that? Why are you having us read out loud with you for Pete's sake? Well, I think when we read scripture together, it's way better than hearing Foth talk, for starters. And it lasts longer, okay? So just read it out loud with me. And um, let's see what Peter says about this. Verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let me stop right there for just a moment. He's speaking to Jewish people who understand the sacrificial system of how things were cleansed by the blood of a lamb in, in terms of that structure and system. Let's go on. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. As we follow Jesus, we become like him. The purpose of following Jesus is to be holy. You say, oh no, not that word. Because so often in church history, holiness is characterized by things that are imposed. Religious leaders come along and they add on to what, the, what our interior life should be. You'll, you'll know you're holy if you don't do this, this, and this, and this. The problem is you can live in a section of the country of the world where they don't do this, this, or this, or this, and you move to a different place, and they have a different set of don't do this, or this, or this, or this. Pretty soon you're, you know, you're just totally bound up. Laws, cannot, laws, laws can be imposed, but holiness cannot be imposed. Let me say it again. Laws can be opposed, imposed, but holiness can't. Holiness is not outside in. It's not what you don't do as much as it is what you do. It's from the inside out. When you're set apart or dedicated or consecrated, that's holiness. Some of you remember when we actually had phone lines, like, you know, and you said, well, that person has a dedicated line. That means only that person gets that call. And here is Jesus saying, I'm calling you to hear my voice uniquely, and I want you to be holy in that. Holiness are, would be, by me at least, characterized by practices and guidelines for my interior life. We live, we live in a culture of person, when we talk about our persons, that's sort of amoral, sort of anything goes. Whatever, you know, whatever we want to do, that's, that's cool, you know, they're in a... It, and, you know, I won't have consequences. It's just I'm not hurting you. I'm just doing whatever it is. Have a friend who says, if what you do does not have a consequence, it doesn't make you free. Because people say, well, I'm free. Yeah. It doesn't make you free if what you do doesn't have a consequence. What it makes you is meaningless. And so we have, we have in, our, in the created order, we have rules, the way things work. Like if I walked over here and stepped off the edge, it's probably three and a half feet down, You'd say, odds are Foth's not going to go up. I mean, unless he hits real hard and then he'll go up, you know, hopefully. But the, but the, point, the point is that gravity works like that. That's a law. That's how, that's how the created order works. In society, 
We have structures that insist on rules. I, I like it that the city has building codes so that we know when this building is built that if, that if the winds get higher than 20 miles an hour, the roof doesn't come in. I like that. I like it that, that sort of that state troopers enforce speed laws. I got, I got to tell you, I got stopped. This is a confession. This is going around the world. I got stopped by one of, well, I got stopped by a Fort Collins police officer a while back. I was going a little too fast in an area where I should. And he pulled me over and he came to the window and he looked in and he looked again and he said, uh, Dick Foth? <laughs> and I'm going, oh no. He said, uh, I go to Timberline. I said, yeah, of course. You know. <laughs> He went back and he wrote out a little something, a little gift, you know, and gave it, gave it to me. And then he leaned in and he said, I know, I know you know where you're going in the end, but try not to be in such a hurry to get there. <laughs> what a great line. I love that line. I didn't love the moment, but I love the line. So we have laws for safety. If you, no, nobody says, I think I'd like to get up and just drink a glass of filthy water. Nobody says that. Or I think, why don't we walk into rooms that got carbon monoxide and diesel fumes just sucking several lungs full? Well, no, we don't do that. The NFL that you guys are going to watch, some of you are going to watch it and doze off in the middle like you always do. And say, if they didn't have rules, it's, you know, or, the, or when the... When the Dodgers play the Astros in the World Series upcoming, if they change the rules every inning, you'd go nuts. Because you got to have guidelines and stuff. But why then would I settle for not having guidelines in my interior life? The thing that is imperishable that goes on forever. Why would I do that? Well, probably because I can. I can't change the city law. Or I can't, but I could change this if I wanted to. But here is... Here's Peter comes along and says, choose rightly, choose well. Why? Because you've been chosen. You've been called and you can choose wisely. You're redeemed, you're washed, you're restored for good purposes. God has done his part. Now we get to do ours. Jesus calls us to a life of hope and a life of holiness, wholeness. How do we get there? Well, by faith. We follow through trust. It's another point on your bulletin. We follow through trust. Trust is activated by obedience. It's, it's, it says that, that you have been rescued, if you will. You've been redeemed so you can hear better, so you can be obedient and walk in trust. Listen to how it reads in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We just sang about that this morning. I leaned over to Bob Seal last night when we sang that song. I believe that, that song. I said, we're singing the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was created some years after Jesus to help people remember, because there wasn't stuff written down, to help them remember what they believed about this person. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I don't have to ask for a show of hands here. There's no one sitting here that has not struggled somewhere, that has not had his or her heart broken, who hasn't, who hasn't said, 
What's with that? Why now? Why this? And he's saying to these people, these have come, these griefs have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Some years ago, Elizabeth Elliot went with her husband to the jungles of Ecuador. He was speared to death by the Huarani Indians, 1956. Jim Elliot was his name. Some of you remember his name. And she was widowed at age 28. She went back in and started working with those tribal people. And many of them started following Jesus. She came back to the States, married a, a professor at a seminary. And he passed away from cancer. When I met her in the 1980s at the college where I was president, she, it was her third husband who was with her and she had gone through pain and when I asked her what's the key to following Jesus she just said without batting an eye she said trust Dick what else is there I said well how would you explain that she said when I would follow some of those natives some of those Indians through the jungle we'd come to a deep chasm 150 feet deep and all there would be would be a log across it and I was scared and the young native would just say watch the back of my head and touch my finger, and let's go. And she said, I can't tell you how many chasms I crossed, foot over foot, watching the back of a young man's head, touching his finger. Not holding his hand, just touching his finger. Trust in the midst of pain, because under pressure we find out what our faith is for sure. Life on this earth can be painful, and some of us say, well, it's just for a moment, yeah, but it can feel like a long moment. I'm just saying Peter calls them to see the end game with their eyes of faith. It's painful for a little while, but there's an end game. So this is what trust looks like. I'm going to call my, my friend, Bob, back up, who sees me as a pumpkin spice latte. And uh, I, you know, I love this man right here. So we're going to do a trust walk. We, we did this in the earlier service, and he was only hurt slightly. So it's a wonderful, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. So... Take my hand, if you will, close your eyes, and I'm just going to lead him around. I'm just going to go over here, and we're just going to turn around two or three times. So here we go. I'm just going to turn him around. Go like this. I'm going to go back over this way. Are we good? Okay. You're so I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So just draw. Okay. I want you to follow my voice. I did that once with 200 men at a men's retreat. And it works pretty good like this, but if you have 99 other voices, as real life is, that's a hard deal. Over here, Harry, not over there. We came back in, debriefed. I said, when did you tend to open your eyes when you were following somebody? One guy said, when I felt a tree. 
said, uh, the shadow fell across me. It was in the sunlight. I opened my eyes, and there was a tree, 50 feet over there. But I opened my eyes because it felt real. Following Jesus is hearing his voice, understanding the reality so that shadows don't make the difference. Somebody else said, I opened my eyes when I got directions too late, like that was a log. <laughs> Another guy said, when I, when I got directions that were imprecise, you're coming to some stairs sometime soon. <laughs> Not good. One old guy, I didn't think he was going to do it. He's in his 80s, had hearing aids. And he, he said that, that was one of the most exciting things I've done in some time. I said, why? He said, because for once in my life, someone else was responsible for the obstacles. When I trust Jesus, he takes responsibility for the obstacles. I follow him. And when I do that, when I trust him that way, we learn his voice. Jesus says it this way, my sheep know my voice. I used to have a radio program for nine years back near the University of Illinois on a station called WDWS, CBS affiliate. It was 10 minutes on a Saturday morning between Sports Scoreboard and Charles Osgood's Newsbreak. And I'm this young 20-something pastor, and it's a 10-minute program designed to sort of bug pagans. And so I'd start with a secular song like, Hey, Mrs. Robinson, some of you are old enough to remember that song. From the, but songs like that. Then we'd go to an interview with a believer and then go out with another song. But I was on the air for nine, nine years. I didn't connect with the church. It was just Dick Foth, top of the morning to you. It's a great time to wake up and live. I walked into a hospital one day to see a, a man. I walked in and an older gentleman in the same room had fallen out of his bed. And I stepped out in the hall and called for what we then called an orderly. I said, is there an orderly? And when I did that, a doctor doing charts raised his head and said, I know that voice. You're that, you're that look up and live guy on Saturday morning. I said, yeah, wake up. He said, uh, I was a medical missionary with such and such a group in Iran for a number of years. Got so discouraged, so cynical that I've just walked away from God. But the last several years, I've been listening to you for 10 minutes on Saturday morning. Just want to say to you, keep talking. I'm on my way back. There's something about a voice. A child in the womb at, at 24 weeks can apparently recognize its mother's voice and the heart rate picks up when he hears his mom talking or her mom talking we find that he calls us by name he calls us by name yeah I love it the graduation award ceremony they call your name and you get up and you get the diploma and some are saying I've achieved this and some are saying I'm just so glad to get out and all that you know we have all these feelings but uh, a couple of weekends ago we were in Portland Oregon because I told you during the run series when I spoke last that I was going to try to do a half marathon I told you it wouldn't be fast, but I was going to finish. One way or another, I was going to finish. So we went, and it was a, a, a son-in-law and two daughters and two grandsons-in-law and a, and a granddaughter, and we ran. Or, well, we did the half marathon, and 13.1 uh, miles. And, boy, when I hit about mile 10, I'm, I'm dying. I'm saying, they're going to ship my body back in a, in a body bag. I'm, and I'm, but they gave you, they gave you a, a bib. To put on your to fit on your shirt, and it had your name on it. Richard had my name on it, and so I'm about ready to die, and I'm going. And somebody says, "Go for it, Richard. You can do it, Richard. It's not far." I'm saying, "You're crazy. It's three miles. What do you mean it's not far? The last mile was the longest mile of my life, but but we we did it, 
and, and one of the reasons I kept going was my name was called and I was running with family and all of that. In a world of numbers, when he calls our name, we, something happens. It's that visceral thing again. I wonder what Mary Magdalene felt at the empty tomb when she went there and she didn't find the body, but she heard his voice say, Mary. He looked like the gardener, but that's his voice. And when Jesus looks at Simon and says, I'm going to call you the rock. I'm going, to get, I'm going to call you rock man. I know people think you're squirrely and unstable. I'm going to call you the rock man. And on you I will build my church. We're not just called to follow. We're called to finish. 1 Peter 8 9 says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I got to tell you, there's nothing like finishing. So Jenny, our second daughter, and I came across the line. It wasn't quite a sprint, but there we are. And then we gathered with the family and we, yes. And we gathered with the family and we held up our medals, all of us together. And, and after that, I passed out and vomited. But other than that, it was good. So here we are at the end. One more look at Peter's opening salvo. And I want to I read from the message, which is a paraphrase, which is just another way. Eugene Peterson said it. I, Peter, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus the Messiah, writing to exiles scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing. Not one is forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you and is determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus, to keep you with good ears. May everything good from God be yours. How did Peter say it again in his words? He said, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace is the key to life. I sat with a CSU prof, a friend, Dr. Chris Melby, who's part of this congregation, nutritional scientist, and he said, you know, in the scientific field, I have lots of questions. I've had my faith challenged on lots of fronts, and I don't always have good answers. But he said, my opinion is that man did not create the concept of grace. God did that. So back to Van's friend, the young attorney in Oregon. Van says this, my friend Isaac Jackson was an attorney here in town and four years ago was diagnosed with liver cancer in his late 30s. He passed away just a few months ago. During his time of processing his sickness, one of the things he talked about was how he grew up in a family where they talked a lot about grace. One of his comments to me was, we treated grace like a white sheet covering up all our sin, like a white sheet over a corpse. But really... Grace is not a cover-up, Isaac says. It is a cure. And the resurrection has resurrection power to change me. It's his grace that teaches me to say no to ungodliness. It's a cure with resurrection power. I love that. So Jesus calls out to us, follow me. We'll do it through trust and everyday choices. We'll learn his voice because he knows our names. We will live in hope and holiness and walk in his grace. And we will finish. Let's pray. In just this moment, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but I'm going to pray 
And if you're here and you say, I, I, really, I really need that hope and I really need holiness in my life from the inside out. As I pray, if you identify with me, just pray the same thing in your spirit, in your heart, quietly as I pray. Father God, thank you for sending us your son, Jesus. You who are cosmic coming to the cradle and leaving your spirit within in us so that we can hear your voice better. We affirm your hope in our lives today. Thank you for growing holiness in me even when I don't feel it or see it simply because I work at staying close to you with intention. Thank you that you have called me to follow you and you've called me by name. And we choose to take that next step even in praying this prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen.